How you guys doing this morning? Welcome back to Pastor Mark, our fearless leader. Yeah, he's been traveling around. He's back with us. Uh, cut a conference short that he was going to over the weekend and, and wanted to be here with all of us. So welcome him back. Say hey um, later on this morning. We're going to be continuing our journey in the book of Jonah. So you can open up to chapter four as we'll dive in there. Um, if you don't need, know me, my name is Dan Meyer. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here. Jonah is, is, this, is this story uh, of a man. It's a story of, of a man who is trying to be fully human. Fully human. Not just flesh and blood or, or heart and mind, but fully human, made in the image of God. He has to find and answer this call of, of the Spirit. He's a human wrestling with his desire, his goals, his sense of morality, his, his passion, and all the while, he's being taunted by that voice. The longing of eternity in our hearts, that voice, maybe you know what voice I'm talking about, not the voice that says, I need more ice cream, not the voice that says, you know, get a bigger boat, oh, not that voice, <laughs> Not, not the voice that says, he loves me, he loves me not. I love her, I love her not. Not, not that voice, the, the voice, the, the capital V voice. You see, some time ago, Jonah had come to this place in his life where he found the end of himself. Or at least he thought he did. There was really more to find he found that there was a gaping hole inside of him, a, a vortex, a, a black hole, and no matter what he fed it, it remained, and it was hungry. This isn't just the story of a man. It isn't just a work of fiction, a, a fairy tale, a fable, something that we're going to derive some moral from or some convenient truth, but this is God's story. It's history. It's his story of meeting people right where they are with grace. Well, that sucking sound inside of Jonah's soul could not be ignored. And as he cried out for help, the voice answered. The capital V voice suddenly came into being and with it, it brought silence. And with it, it brought salvation. And in that new quiet, he vowed that he would listen. He vowed that I will follow, I will go. He found salvation. And things were good. He found that the voice, this capital V voice, was, was filled with kindness. The kind of kindness that he had idealized in his mind the kind of kindness that with it just envelops you in peace, the kind of, of, of kindness that I'm sure a baby experiences, though never remembers when it is safe and secure nursing at his mother's breast. The kind of gentleness and the kind of, of kindness that made him long for more and satisfied that black hole, that sucking sound in his soul was satiated with the grace that this voice brought. And suddenly he began to experience things that he'd never known in his life. Confidence without the necessity of that little word in front of it, self. 
grace, righteousness, hope. And in the midst of all of these things, life changed. And then, and then that day, at first when he heard the voice speak, he, he thought he'd heard it wrong. No, but, but the voice was very clear. The voice said, I mean, the Lord said, See, because at some point along the way, he realized that it wasn't just this ethereal voice. It wasn't just this echo in his, in his own mind. It wasn't those things that he was so used to of speaking to himself. You do that? Nobody wants to admit it, but everybody talks to themselves. And Jonah realized that the voice wasn't just an echo of his own consciousness or subconsciousness or some level of himself, but this voice was a being. It was the Lord. It was the real living God, the one true God, the God who speaks. And he was listening. But now the voice said, I want you to invite your enemies to know me. Well, at least that's what Jonah heard. What the Lord actually said was get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message I have given you. Get up and go. But what was going on in Jonah's heart was that he realized and he knew the kindness of God. And well, God, no, um, see, I, I can't go because you are too compassionate and you're too kind and you're so merciful that I just simply can't risk going to the Assyrians because they might actually believe and they might turn and they do not deserve your kindness, period. These are the wrestlings going on inside of Jonah's heart. Those Assyrians don't deserve what I've experienced. Now, at this point of the story, this is where you know, some Hollywood producer, you know, would, would create this scene and there would be this flashback back to, to Jonah's childhood and the Assyrian raiders would march into his small village and ransack it and loot it and burn all of their huts and kill his family while he watched in agony. And then the leader of the Assyrians would come and leave some mark, maybe scars across his face. And we would see down into the very root of Jonah's hatred for the Assyrians, but that's not really how it went. The producer would want to stir it up, you know, and, and as, as Jonah tracked down the Assyrians, he would, he would hunt them and he would finally come face to face with them and say, I am Indigo Montoya. <laughs> oh, you know this. Say it with me. I am Indigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. But that's not what happened. Because this wasn't, this wasn't a Hollywood story. This was God's story. This is his story. It wasn't the story of vengeance is mine. It instead is the story of grace can be yours. My heart wrestles with this I look I even look around this room I'll be honest I look around this room and sometimes you don't really deserve God's grace maybe you do the same but I will not let that live I will not be Jonah I will not despise the grace of God 
because his story is greater. But Jonah, the truth teller, the prophet, he hides the truth and he seeks to hide himself and he takes this four-day hike down to Joppa to catch a Mediterranean cruise heading in the opposite direction of Nineveh. And he's begun to feel that void again. He can hear the sound like an old-school Electrolux canister vacuum cleaner, sucking, (laughs) wanting more, craving more, invading the quiet. He can feel it. He can hear it. At first, he thought he was just hungry. But no, this, this is different. And it was familiar. Aboard the boat, he tried to drown it all out, but the weather started getting rough. The tiny ship was tossed. If not for the courage of the fearless crew. <laughs> and Jonah was tossed. That's right. This, this, this crashing, the, the, the waves, the, all of a sudden, life was interrupted. And Jonah was found out by the crew as they cast lots to be the cause of their misfortune. And reluctantly... They resolved to take his advice and to remedy their solution by throwing him overboard. There he was, thrashing, treading, gurgling, helpless, drowning. That sucking sound was not just in his soul now, it was all around him, swirling and crashing. The world was liquid, green tentacles reached out like arms, grasping him and holding him to his watery grave. And in that moment, he cries. In the half-light of his consciousness, he cries out again, but only bubbles, no sound. And suddenly, he's enveloped. And he cries out again, and this time, he hears his voice. He pleads like so long ago, like he did when he first experienced that, that satisfaction and that kindness and that fulfillment, when he, when he cried out and said, I need, I cannot take another step, I'm desperate. Maybe you know this place. Maybe you experienced this place where you have laid in bed for days or weeks or months, where you have cried yourself to sleep every single night hoping that change was possible. And he remembers here and is at this moment again where he finds a new end, a deeper place of wrestling in his heart. He finds that he can cry out and ask for that help. Time ticks on. He praises. How long has it been? A, a day? Two? I'm, I'm alive. Is this, is this a dream? It's dark. Am I blind? What is that awful smell? He renews his vows. He gives thanks. And the great fish wretches. And Jonah finds himself reborn. He finds himself lying on the, on the sand, squinting in the sun, eyes burning. Is this real? Then he hears the voice. The capital V voice. Oh yeah, this is real. 
that voice always defines what is real. It's the voice of the Lord. And he says again to Jonah, get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message that I have given you. And Jonah walks. He gets up, and, and suddenly as he's on this journey, he, he's realizing that this, that little four-day hike down to Joppa was nothing. Now he's, now he's on this four- or five-week journey. How, how far is it to Nineveh? How, was, it, was it 500 miles? Was it, was it 600 miles? Was it 700 miles? How long do I need to walk here? But with these renewed vows, with, the, with this freshness of commitment and faithfulness, he starts his journey with a spring in his step. I would walk 500 miles. I would walk 500 more. To be the man who would speak God's truth. To be the man who would proclaim the story of God's faithfulness. He's ready. He will be faithful. I have been saved for a purpose. Here I go. But as the weeks go by, the tune changes. The old thoughts begin to creep back in his aloneness. The fishy, the fishy stench is, is barely noticeable now. The, the salvation that was so tangible and real, as real as the air that he breathed into his lungs, was now becoming a memory. And by the time that the gates of Nineveh were in his sights, Jonah had carefully balanced his message between his own will and, and God's will. He will fulfill his vows. He will be faithful. He will proclaim judgment. And for three days, as Pastor Eric shared last week, he walks the city simply saying five words. Five words. Again, 40 days, Nineveh. Change. This was it. This was the good news. This was the truth. This was all he could muster in that place between where he wanted to follow God and be obedient to God and where he wanted to see these people burn. And we know the story. The, Ninevite, the Ninevites repent, and Jonah gets bent. And from the greatest to the least, the city of Nineveh turns towards the Lord, and the merciful, kind God gives them grace, unmerited favor. Second chance, a reprieval, a do-over, a mulligan. And this is where we come, chapter 4. Verse 1, as God hears their cry, this change of plans greatly upset Jonah and he became very angry. So he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That's why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You're eager to turn back from destroying people. Just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. Man, 
That is an amazingly authentic and honest, piss-poor attitude. That is horrible. But it's honest. This is one of the things I love about Jonah is, is he is just right there. He knows that, that this voice knows. He knows that the Lord knows. He knows that God can see right into the core of him and nothing is hidden. The plans upset Jonah literally. What it means was a, the words that are, that are written there means that it was evil in the sight of Jonah. In the Old Testament, a lot you read, and the people did evil in the sight of the Lord. Jonah, the same language is being used. It was evil in the sight of Jonah. Jonah has now enthroned himself. He has put himself on the throne of heaven and said, I am the just judge. No, you're, you're not, Jonah. And here we see that the character flaw that has been festering is beginning to come to light. And this is really a reality that, that so many of us share where with the same mouth that we praise God with, we proclaim that someone else is unworthy of grace. The same mouth that we use to, to bless God and to thank Him for the, the salvation that we've experienced, we use to point out other people's flaws and weaknesses, and we even dare to hope for their failure. It hides, it lurks in our pride, it exists in every room of our heart that we have not let God clean us and wash us with the blood of Christ. And whenever we see a spirit of unforgiveness or, or a lack of generosity in our hearts, it's an indication that we're out of touch with the grace of God. Say that again, whenever we see a spirit of unforgiveness, whenever we see a lack of generosity, then it reveals that we are out of touch with the grace of God, the kindness of God. And God's response is short, sweet, and direct. In verse 4, the Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry about this? Doesn't that just upset you? <laughs> God, justify yourself to me. Tell me your bigger story. Let me see the next steps. Show me the good in this city. Remember Abraham when God said that he was gonna that God when God said he was gonna wipe out Sodom and Gomorrah and Abe is like bartering with God. Hey, well, what if there's like a hundred like pretty cool people that that might be kind of righteous in the city? Would you still destroy it? No, I won't destroy it. What about if there's fifty? What about if there's ten? What what about if there's just one? One guy and his family, it, would you still destroy it? Go get him, Abe. Get him out of the city because I'm bringing destruction. I'm not going to destroy the righteous with the wicked. And Jonah's like, just destroy them all. There can't possibly be anyone righteous there. And God says, is it right for you to be angry about this? Then Jonah went to the east side of the city and made a shelter to sit under as he waited to see what would happen to the city. And the Lord God arranged for a leafy plant to grow there, and soon it spread its broad leaves over Jonah's head, shading him from the sun. This eased his discomfort, and Jonah was very grateful for the plant. What an amazingly gracious God that as the, the, the one who has been 
gifted and called and saved for a purpose to reflect the goodness of God as he just kind of smacks it back to God and says, God, those people aren't deserving of your grace. God is still gracious to him. Jonah walks outside of the city. Maybe he climbs a little hill to get a good view over on the east side of the city to kind of see what's going to happen. Maybe destruction will rain down. I need to get a good vantage point so I can make sure I I don't miss any of the festivities. And he's hot. And God arranges for this gourd, this, this leafy plant, these elephant ears or something to kind of grow up and begin to, to shade him. Just like God arranged, hurled the wind at the boat, and just like God arranged for the fish to swallow Jonah, now he arranges for more of his grace. But God also arranged for a worm. <laughs> Verse 7. And the next morning... At dawn, the worm ate through the stem of the plant so that it withered away. And as the sun grew hot, God arranged for a scorching east wind to blow on Jonah. The sun beat down on his head until he grew faint and wished to die. Death is certainly better than living like this, he exclaimed. Did God ever tell Jonah to go outside the city? <laughs> like he could have been hanging in the shade. He could have been walking around in the market with all of the people that had just found Jesus. He could have been joining the revival and celebrating and teaching and training and sharing the story of God's faithfulness. He could have been in there building up and equipping, oh, I'm not going to stay here in Assyria. He could, have, he could have been raising up leaders to start the first church of Nineveh. Instead, he, he sits outside in his despondency. And because of a consequence of his own choice, he experienced the elements, the heat, and the pain, and the suffering to the point where, as God arranges these things to happen, he just proclaims, just kill me. Death would be better than this, and certainly death is better than wallowing in your own misery. But that is not the only option, people. How is it that we get so black and white? How is it that we get so jaded? How is it that we get so crystal clear when our only option is my will be done? How does this virus infect our hearts and begin to spread and take over and cause us misery and pain and suffering? And it's one simple step at a time. And I wonder if, if Jonah realized it is at all that his life had really just become a self-fulfilling prophecy. God sent him to, to be a prophet, to be able to proclaim truth, to offer an invitation to relationship to the Assyrians. And in Jonah's mind, all of the end results of the prophecy that he wanted became his own personal reality. He's inside the fish, and what does he cry out? I am in hell right where he wished the Assyrians would be. He experiences the pain and the heat, literally as he's going around and preaching the good news. He's using this word for days that talks about the the hot, the very warm parts of the days. He's experiencing this himself in his own suffering. And the Ninevites, 
They're smart. <laughs> They're in the shade. He's up on the side of this hill just suffering. Suffering for God, man. I'm a prophet doing God's work. It's hard, but somebody's got to do it. What a bunch of baloney. No, God wants to lead him by still waters and restore his soul, but he is refusing. He believes the Assyrians deserve punishment, but he's the one being punished for his own disobedience. He doesn't want them to have any more chances, but God gives him yet another chance. The Assyrians are repenting, and Jonah is rebelling against the grace of God. Verse 9. Then God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry because the plant died? Is it right? Is it right for you to have a bad attitude? Is it right for you to live like you're the only one on the earth who deserves God's love? Or as we often twist it with our self-righteousness, I'm the only one on earth who loves God, right? Everybody else, no, they don't really love God. I, I love God. I deserve grace. Is it right, Jonah, for you to determine the worth of others, for you to pass your time hoping that others will fail? Hey, Jonah, is it right that you're questioning my decisions? I'm the Lord. I'm God. I am. And Jonah says, yes. <laughs> yes, Jonah retorted, even angry enough to die. This guy has some serious resolve. He's got some serious willpower. Some of you are, some of you are like, yeah, I'm just like Jonah. Yeah, I've been... No, I'm not going to. I'm going to do what I want to. I know that you're supposed to be God and you say what's. No, I'm going to do what I want to do. Then the Lord said, you feel sorry about the plant, though you did nothing to put it there. It came quickly and died quickly, but Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention all the animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? The end. No resolve. No final C chord. God just simply gets the last word. Well, what happened to Jonah? Did, did he change his mind? Did, did he change his heart? Did, 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 he, did, he, did he go back down the hill and hang out with the Ninevites? How many days did he stay up there waiting to see if God was going to wreck them? Did he ever go back home and, and continue his ministry as a prophet? Did he answer the calling? What, will I see Jonah in heaven? I don't know. It's, it's a mystery. The same is as we watch each other's lives go by and we come to the end and we get to those uncomfortable places of eulogy and, and, and sitting at a funeral and, and trying to epitomize who a person was and speak of their essence. And we always like to say those wonderful, nice things, don't we? And then there's those of us that sit in those rows and we know the truth. <laughs> that person didn't follow God. We all have this choice. We all have this, this wrestling in our hearts, those places not to, not to judge each other, but to judge ourselves. What's my answer? 
Will I exercise that self-will as I stare God in the face, as I listen to his voice? Will I say, God, my will be done. God, I, I have my own version of justice and you should listen to me. And here was God's perspective. These people were in spiritual darkness. Literally what the language says is, is they didn't know their right hand from their left hand. They weren't dumb, they were ignorant, spiritually speaking. They weren't foolish in the sense of the ways of the world, but they were completely foolish because they had no knowledge of who God was. And God said, I have compassion for those people. Those people don't know what life is really about. And you who know, you who have experienced, you who have tasted the goodness of God, you should be overflowing to those people. My heart is to bring those people into relationship. My, people, my heart is to go to those people who have Spiritually speaking, no idea what's going on. Even between their right hand and their left hand. They don't know that life is about relationship. And God gets the final word and says, Jonah, this is my heart. What's yours? These people had no bearing on God's version of reality. They didn't know which way is up. They create their own reality. People can only hear their need in their own language. And God speaks everyone's language. He goes to the Assyrians, this, this brutal, violent people who esteemed treachery. And he speaks to them in their language. Submit and turn to me. That's the language that they understood, and they responded. Jonah walked east of the city, probably up that hillside, and this is what he expected. He expected destruction. He hoped for God to unleash his righteous wrath upon them. He expected that the words of his mouth would come true. And the story ends there for us. But God's story continues because about 2,000 years ago, another man who was fully human walked the earth. And he walked towards another great city, Jerusalem. And he expected that as he went there, that destruction was going to happen. And he hoped that God would unleash his righteous wrath. And he expected that the words of his mouth would come true. And this man's name was Jesus. And he hoped that all of those things would be true. And that he himself would be the sacrifice. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. For the joy set before him, he paid the price. And his expectation became a reality. And then something happened. The earth wretched. And he burst forth out of the tomb and said, here is the hope. Here is life. Here's the heart of God. I am with you always even to the end of the age. Jesus didn't live out a self-fulfilling prophecy. He fulfilled all prophecy. In the book of Hebrews it says, So also Jesus suffered and died outside the city gates to make his people holy by means of his own blood. 
So let us go out to him outside the camp and bear the disgrace he bore. For this world is not our permanent home. We are looking forward to a home yet to come. Therefore, let us offer through Jesus a continual sacrifice of praise to God, proclaiming our allegiance to his name. And don't forget to do good and to share with those in need. These are the sacrifices that please God. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So do not be attracted by strange new ideas. Your strength comes from God's grace. Let's pray. Thank you.